brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. If there's one thing that would just pop out when we read through the letter of Paul to the Philippians is God's sovereignty. Mentioned that as we began singing Psalm 103. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. He's in control of all things. I'd like to just quickly review how this dominates even the first chapter which we just read. Verse 3, Paul thanks God every time he remembers them. Verse 6, being confident of this, that He, God, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it. So don't fear. Verse 11, filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. We look at the different sections in this chapter, and we, in verses 12 to 26, Paul goes on praising God for what he is doing, even in the fact that Paul is in prison. The things that happened to him have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Read how Paul could witness to the palace guard that he is in his chains for Christ. Many have become more bold to speak the word without fear, having become confident by Paul's chains. It's like Paul is thinking, who knew? Even the ones that do it out of selfish ambition, whether done in pretense or in truth, writes Paul, he can rejoice that Christ is preached. See, through all this, we, we, we can't deny that for Paul, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Why? Then he can be with Christ. Yes, God is sovereign. He rules over all. He is in control. He, and will guide things for what? For the furtherance of the Gospel. We too can be very sure of that fact. That's where we sort of up to in our letter. And then we come to our text for this morning. After greeting them, the Philippians, and then he reports that his own circumstances have served to advance this gospel, Paul now commands his readers to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Again, it is important that we notice this continuing theme for the all-important link between Paul's life and theirs, and ours too, of course, is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We can see this, this link in the first word of our text. Only, or just one thing. See, the Gospel of Jesus Christ is the basis for His life for his instructions to the Philippians. We could, we could paraphrase it this way. Okay, okay, Philippian readers, now you know my situation. You also know how I long to be with Christ, but for your sake, I know I will remain here and continue with you for your progress, for your joy of faith. Only, only, whatever happens with me, just one thing. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Then really, if we think about it, a command like conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ, it, it, it covers every aspect of life. From this command itself, we can begin asking ourselves, is what I'm doing worthy of the gospel of Christ? Is what I'm thinking worthy of Christ? See, this overriding command covers, and we can say even that the rest of the letter explains it further. Not only these verses, but the whole letter, we can say, falls under this command. Yes, brothers and sisters, the command from the Holy Spirit, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, will also be our main thought for this morning. I preach to you God's Word. I like to use this theme. As citizens of heaven, believers are commanded to let their conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We will see three things. We will see that a life worthy of the gospel of Christ includes standing firm in one spirit. Secondly, striving together for the gospel. And third, suffering for Christ's sake. First, we'll see how living this kind of life includes standing firm in one's spirit. Before we dig a little deeper and find out what is meant with this standing fast in one's spirit, there's something I feel I should explain to you. For you might be wondering, why did I bring in this idea of being citizens of heaven into the theme. I don't remember reading that in the text. Well, it is right there in the text. Only we can't see it in the English. Talking about the Greek word that is translated, let your conduct, in our translation, That's the word I'm talking about. Some other translations does conduct yourselves. Another translation, let your manner of life be. And these interpretations aren't wrong. Translations are always an interpretation, of course. But Paul is using a different word, and rather interesting one, and a different word than he normally uses elsewhere for conducting yourselves. And it is, like I said, an interesting word. Quite literally, this word means discharge your obligations as citizens. Or we could say, get rid of all those big words, live your lives as citizens. You see, by using this particular word, Paul wants to remind his readers that they are citizens of somewhere else, of another place, heaven. Paul wants to to hear that the Philippians are living in a way that heavenly citizens would. And just a quick little background here. The Philippians, Philippi, this whole idea of citizenship is something they would know an awful lot about. It's a Roman colony of Philippi. It was set up. Um, there to take on the Roman soldiers who were no longer fighting. It was a free city and experienced all the benefits and the responsibilities of what being a Roman was all about. 
so now Paul is taking this word and he plays on it a little bit. And he reminds his readers that they have what we could call, I suppose, a dual citizenship. Later on in the letter, he clearly spells this out. Philippians 3, For our citizenship is in heaven, he writes, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we today, we, we, can, we can interpret Paul's words in this way. Just as you are expected to live as Australian citizens, there are, it comes with benefits, it comes with responsibilities, just as you are expected that, to live that way, my dear readers, now I give you this command, as a citizen of heaven, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It explains there, living as, as citizens of heaven. For Paul wasn't sure when, or we even get the feeling, even if, he would next see his brothers and sisters in Philippi. But regardless of whether he comes and sees them or not, Paul wants to hear that they are standing fast in one spirit. I don't know how alert you are this morning. Maybe you would have noticed that in my first point, I capitalized spirit. Whereas our Bibles have spirit with a small s. There's a good reason I did this. You see, many translators make a connection with spirit and mind in the next phrase. And then the word for mind is actually soul. So the reasoning that the spirit and soul are complemented in each other uh, refer to something like, like our inner being, they say. However, Paul never uses the word spirit in this way elsewhere in his writings. And what's more, everywhere else that Paul that Paul refers to standing firm, and he does refer to it elsewhere, he refers to the whom they are to stand in, not in how they are to stand. And add to all this, he only just asked the brothers and sisters to pray for the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in verse 19. Now he's urging them to stand firm and by that same Spirit, capital S. Four verses further, two verse one, Paul mentions the, the fellowship of the Spirit. Now the reason I chose to spend so much time on, on, on this little aspect, we could say, is because it is so important to the meaning of standing firm. <clears throat> what is not meant is some kind of, of Community spirit, we could say. Or like-mindedness that he speaks of elsewhere. We, here he's speaking about and making us realize we can only stand firm in the Holy Spirit. Paul uses this very same kind of language in some of his other letters. I'd like to quote a, a little bit from Ephesians 4. Paul writes, I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which with, with which you were called. Notice, by the way, a real parallel here. Paul went from speaking about his fact that he was in prison to this, to this exhortation. Same here. Prisoner of the Lord beseech to walk worthy of the calling. And then he continues, bearing with one another in love. 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, capital S, in the bond of peace. And he continues, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one God and Father of all, who is in you all. He is in us all through the Spirit. Just one more from 1 Corinthians 12. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Brothers, sisters, the Holy Spirit is the key to unity among believers, to standing fast, firm. It's made so very clear in this last passage we read. The one Spirit is the source of their, and of course, our unity. We should always remember this. It is not our doing. It is that the Spirit lives in us. Only in the the one and only Spirit can we stand firm. Yes, as we read from Ephesians, let's, let's also us be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And don't we, don't we so often need this reminder? For sometimes we as Christians, as believers of Jesus Christ, we have this tendency to tear each other down when we don't agree with each other. Sometimes even over the most insignificant of things. Why? This should never be, brothers and sisters. Never. We all share in one Spirit. One hope. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father who is in us all. May the Holy Spirit truly guide us And be the source that causes us to stand firm. For only when we stand firm in the one and only Spirit can we hope to strive together as one person for the Gospel. This is, of course, bringing us to our second point. Striving together for the Gospel. Conducting ourselves, conducting oneself worthy of the Gospel of Christ and Standing fast in one spirit is further explained, we could say by Paul, in two ways. First, in a positive sense, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then negatively, not being terrified by your adversaries. I'd like to look at these in that order. The Greek word for striving together, which by the way is one of those words that's only found in this letter. This Greek word has a sense of of contending or struggling along together. Even, we could say, striving side by side. In this case, for the Gospel. Paul is urging his readers to stand fast and help one another and strive together for the faith of the Gospel. And it's really interesting to note the imagery that Paul uses to engage his readers, to get them thinking about it, 
Again, his choice of words. First, Paul used the image of the Greek polis, or city. We were talking about that earlier. Encouraging them to live as citizens of heavens. And then there was the metaphor of standing from our first point. Standing. This was borrowed from the military. Roman military in Philippi would have known all about standing fast against those barbarians as they attacked. And now, the Greek population could relate to this contending as one man idea. Because that word used is also associated with the athletic games that they so loved. Yes, the games. Sports. We, we would all agree if we think of sports, especially team sports, it's absolutely crucial for the whole team to work together as one. Just think of soccer. It's a game so many of us enjoy. It does little good if every player just goes about doing their own thing. One going left, one's going right, one's going backwards, let's say. One heading for the goals, and he's oblivious to the fact that he or she has teammates. It just doesn't work. Similar situation for the church. For the church to be blessed with with success in the advancement and in its witness to the world, there should be a united front. In one spirit, striving together for that same purpose. Coordinating the different approaches so that they work together, they're all working together for that one goal. I'd like to present the gospel to the world. It is good to think about this, brothers and sisters. Also, as you are part of this church here in Armadale. Let's not all go off on our own tangents. One promoting this, another that. Work together. Have a common goal. And for that, we have to be be a communicating congregation. You have to communicate. Of course, I don't mean that every single person has to be involved in every single task. No, of course not. But if we have clear what our objectives are, and then by communicating with each other, we can avoid having conflicting messages in what we do. Imagine what damage that would do in presenting the gospel, having conflicting messages. Yes, in the second way, we stand fast in one spirit, looking at more the, the negative way to put it, is to, not negative in the sense that it's a negative thing, but it's just in the negative, to not be afraid of those who oppose us. Sorry to sound like a bit of a broken record, but in this passage, it's just incredible the words that Paul chooses to use. And again, an interesting word here, is being, is being pulled in. Maybe when he wrote this section of the dictionary, he figured the Greek language was too small. I'm just going to add words. Because it's an interesting word for being terrified. It's not the normal word. There is a word for being frightened. And this word, again, isn't used elsewhere in the New Testament. Where it is found in other Greek literature, it is used to describe horses 
that are frightened or spooked on the battlefield. The word suggests a kind of reflex action of just being startled. Brothers and sisters, because because of the Holy Spirit, believers then and believers now today, they are encouraged not to be intimidated or afraid in any way, even if being persecuted. What is Paul actually saying here? We can be so strong in our faith that we don't even flinch at those who might oppose us. Now we can honestly say that we as believers in this Western world we live in, we really have no idea what it was like for the believers in Philippi, do we? We know from much that has been studied about that period of time, many actively opposed the Gospel. Emperor worship was, was normal, was expected. Christians were marginalized or ignored. If they ran businesses, for example, they were just left on their own. And, and yes, they were even executed because of their love for Christ. Many examples in, in Acts and in the letters as well. We could actually say there was very good reason for them to fear. But we also need to realize we are not without fear ourselves. Maybe for different reasons, but it is definitely there. What stopped you from sharing the Gospel when that opportunity came up while, let's say, you were watching your child play soccer? It was this golden opportunity to mention that you love Jesus Christ and you let it go. Why? Or why did you agree to take on a cast job even though you know the law says otherwise? Maybe it was even a member of the church that suggested you do that for him or her. Why didn't you stand up for what you believe? Or kids, why didn't you stand up for the truth when you saw that it was Billy? It was Billy, the most popular guy in school. He threw the first punch, even though he claimed the other guy started it. Why not? Was it not fear in all its different forms? Of course it was. The opposition. Our adversaries are all around us. And of course, our great adversary uses all kinds of means. Soldiers, governments, peer pressure. And yes, behind it all, fear. We are to stand fast in one Spirit. Let us strive together for the faith of the Gospel Being in Christ has to show itself in our daily lives too. It's so dangerous to do this off the pulpit, I realize. But just one example that I thought of is is how we can together, we get together with, with, let's say, colleagues or other people who are are, um, fighting or, or, or facing similar issues. Talk about it. Discuss, share how you conduct your business and your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Or 
Talk to a more experienced believer. Someone older than you. And just say, I'm really struggling with doing this. And you'll be surprised. They'll probably say, so am I. God gives us tools, each other. Let's stand. Let's strive to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then Paul encourages the believers some more. Their adversaries might try to frighten the believers by saying, your loyalty to the gospel is a sure sign that you're going to be destroyed. That's what that word perdition means. But in fact, to the believers, it is a sign of salvation. And so they can stand firm. They can strive together in the face of opposition knowing that their suffering is proof of their salvation. And then Paul writes, and that from God. I just love, and I encourage you to read through the letter of Philippians or any other letter of Paul because Paul does this often. I love how Paul throws in these little exclamations. He must have been so excited and into his letters that he just can't help himself. Remember how we began talking, beginning the sermon about how God's sovereignty is a big part of this letter? Well, here again, he can't help but ascribe to God what is his due. Our salvation is from God, lest we forget. God is behind it all. The ability to stand fast in one spirit, striving together as one soul to declare and, and live the gospel, and being courageous in the face of opposition. None of this is achieved by our own human striving, but by God alone. We can know that salvation is ours. Ours in Jesus Christ because we know Christ. How He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted Him to the highest place. Yes, in His suffering, Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. Think about this for a second. Back then and now, unbelievers see the cross simply as a sign of destruction. But to believers, the cross is a sign of salvation. That's what Paul is referring to here when he encourages the Philippian readers. And just as conducting our lives worthy of the gospel of this Jesus Christ is a gift of God, so too has it been granted to us to suffer for His sake. Come to our third point. Suffering for Christ's sake. Jesus Christ once said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Paul wrote to Timothy saying, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, does that by any chance sound like worthy? Of the gospel of Jesus Christ? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
In verse 29 of our text today, Paul gives a surprising explanation for the suffering the Philippians are experiencing. For, we could put here, because to you it has been graciously given. Yes, the word has the word for grace in it. Graciously given. On behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer on His behalf. Notice the, the striking focus on Jesus Christ again. For suffering was and is a privilege that God has given as an act of grace. Just think, God gave suffering to Christians. Have you ever thought of it this way? It's like God says, I love you, my dear child. Here's a gift. Suffering. Suffering. A gift. And yet we are told to not fear. For brothers and sisters, notice God gives us two gifts. Faith, or believing, and suffering. And then when faith meets together with suffering, the result can be fearlessness. And this fearlessness too is assigned to the unbeliever as undestruction. Just think, as an unbeliever watches this fearlessness thinking that that guy's going to die. It's a sign of destruction to the unbeliever, but to the believer, it's a sign of salvation. What a wonderful God we have. Let's remember always how suffering will confirm our faith in Christ and will also bring us closer to our Lord and Savior. But then maybe in our minds we're going, what's he talking about? What kind of suffering are we talking about here? I sort of alluded before to the Philippians and how their situation is so different, one of the things I I can no doubt say is that these Philippian readers, they would have thought it's quite obvious what Paul meant. Yes, we should realize that Paul isn't talking here about what we could call headaches and heartaches and those kind of things. Not to belittle them, but that's just not what he's talking about here. The suffering Paul refers to is that which comes from publicly taking a stand or identifying with Jesus Christ in a world that doesn't want to hear about Christ. It is when we suffer, as we read, on Christ's behalf or for His sake. We, as believers, are called to a unique kind of suffering because we are to stand fast, strive together. We are to identify ourselves with the truth. And this privilege, yes, it is a privilege, is graciously given to us from the hand of God that we might be involved in this battle. That's why Paul, too, was involved as he writes In our text, he says, having that same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. The believers in Philippi could draw strength 
from knowing they share in that very same battle that their, that their leader, we could say, their hero, Paul, was in. What about us today? Can we relate? Can we relate in our minds, really, I'm serious, to all this kind of suffering and persecution talk? Doesn't it sort of... Brothers and sisters, I encourage you not to write off this portion of God's Word and and say, well, it doesn't apply to us. Maybe one day when we are persecuted, we'll turn to it. I'd like to share with you something one commentator wrote that really I thought hits the nail on the head. He writes, I should say he observes, perhaps there has never been a period in all of history when true Christians have lived more like those who are of the world and have demonstrated so little of the high standards of Christian faith. Big long sentence, basically. Perhaps there have never been a time where believers of Christ has not lived like the world around them. This is an inexcusable, he writes, privilege being citizens of heaven, implies responsibilities. If we have been called by Christ, we must now live worthy of that calling. Something to think about, isn't it? I'm trying to think of different examples of, of how I can... Um, my limited knowledge of everything, back this idea up. But if we really think about it, is there, is there much difference between, let's say, a party that we're holding and one from the neighbor across the street? Or how different are our priorities? If we think really what is our priorities to those who are around us, who are focusing on gathering wealth, making it in this world, Having that retirement nest egg, is that our priority? What about the music we listen to? How different is that than that uh, person sitting across from you on the train? The movies we watch. Is what we do worthy of the gospel of Christ? My brothers, My sisters, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have committed your life to Him. Then the light and the life of Jesus will be seen in you. For He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The world then should see the light of Jesus Christ in us. And when it shines from us, there will be persecution. As we heard before, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will, not might, will suffer persecution. If you haven't experienced this kind of persecution, suffering, there's a very good chance that you are not living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ or standing firm in one spirit, or 
striving together for the gospel. If you have been ridiculed, if you have been ostracized, if you have been prejudiced against because of standing up for what you believe, who you believe, Jesus, then you have been persecuted for His sake. And then you can know, you can understand that God not only sees it, He allows it. Praise Him that you could shine in Jesus, share in Jesus Christ's suffering. Not only does it allow it, we just could learn, as a matter of fact, this is God's gracious gift to you, which He will use to accomplish His purposes. Come to our conclusion. Brothers and sisters, we have been given such wonderful privileges Grace and peace, grace and peace have been poured out on us from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God began a good work in us. He will complete it. God uses even suffering to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And having this privilege comes with wonderful responsibilities. As citizens of heaven, we are to let our conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let us stand firm in one spirit. Let us strive together as one for the faith of the gospel. And don't be afraid. For even our suffering is a gracious gift from our God. And then we too, we too can sing along with with. All the saints in the past, one in particular, who had their own fair of sufferings. A mighty fortress is our God, our helper. And then He will prevail. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Oh, thank God that Jesus Christ is on our side. Amen.